talk about one of the objectives of Water Speaks is to engage with 6 to 12 students about environmental issues. And having spoken to you before, you told me a lot about the modules like how we want to create and through experiential learning, how we wanted to show students about the different things that are happening in the environment. For example, lake eutrophication, lake turnover, and demonstrating to them what is the stratosphere and how to understand the local geography. Can you tell me a little bit about one of the modules that you're developing and how you plan to proceed with that? For Water Speaks, one of the modules were the workshop that I'm working on. I have to thank my kids. Um, so in 2006, I, I did a research report on the status of watershed or environmental education in Lake Simcoe schools around Lake Simcoe areas. Um, so I engaged with the schools a lot, talked to the teachers, did the questionnaire survey, and we published the report, which was called Whales in Lake Simcoe, going behind the science of education. So that report was just an eye opener for me because I realized that at that point, not much was being imparted in terms of environmental education outdoor education still um, at its infancy and at the same time the parallels with my life my kids were uh, six four and two at that time they were just about to start they were at the cusp of starting with great schools and so I started uh, going into my older child's school and started creating this fun science-based programs uh, so what I did at that point is went to the dollar store and got all kinds of tropical animals, got some playing sand and some spray bottles, and then used some old plastic, beat up plastic boxes to create tropical and temperate climates. So using cotton, cotton balls, for example, for Arctic, and then Great Lakes created, you know, just use some old material and, and pop bottles and, and and uh, ice cream sticks and whatnot and the, we i would go into their classrooms and bring the kids together and talk about the differences between diff various ecosystems around the world and then i would have all the animals so i had polar bear i had uh, elephants and giraffes and what and all kinds of animals stuffed into this bag and then once we have created the ecosystem um and i use i would use my my daughter's you know, toys, dolls, and houses, and pixel chicks, and whatnot. We would create this system. And then uh, the bag would go around the classroom, and every child would take out one animal from the bag. And they didn't know what it is. So if it's a, it's a tiger, so where would the tiger go? Which ecosystem? If it's a polar bear, where would that go? If it's a moose, where would that go? You know, so uh, so they and then they would laugh and talk about different animals and they would place it into the ecosystem we just created. And then I would have some spray bottle uh, with water in it. And then in front of them, so we, I would tell them, OK, so what if we pollute this water? And I would put some, you know, food coloring and mix it. And then they would be just, oh, you, it looks, <laughs> looks awful. What's this? And then every child would get five squirts. 
So they would spray the water, the polluted water, onto the animals or onto the agriculture land that we had created or just on the sand or somebody's washing their cars. I had these toy cars. So they would just spray these polluted water and then we would trace the path of water. Where is that going? lot of discussion so where's the water going it's actually some of it is seeping underground and they would say oh i didn't didn't even know that this same groundwater will some someday come out into this river that we have created and then some child would have put these animals very strategically into the river system there were alligators and snakes in tropical areas right so they would look at that and they would start knocking out the animals one by one oh this animal is dead oh this it's gone because they're drinking this polluted they would see the change in the color and that would set them thinking about the interconnectedness of our ecosystem in grade this is grade one or two i'm talking about uh, in 2006 so this this just fascinated me the energy the sheer energy and the power of doing something hands-on and just not sitting and listening to the teacher talk just opened my eyes towards wow this is powerful right every child is laughing they are engaged and then we would sit and do some word jumbles and you know it just became just such a fun activity at the same time thinking about science so i started it around that time and slowly i developed a lot of programs for, through my kids school so i would just go and volunteer my time and just go and go with my you know paraphernalia and just go and talk to them and uh, what it actually created was something more powerful in my mind and because i was already engaged with post-secondary students through university what i started seeing is a trend things that i thought they should have known in uh, primary school or middle school or high school right that can be inculcated earlier on into learning habits or learning skills. So that gradually pushed me towards creating these workshops for young students starting from grade 6 to grade 12. The second, uh, second module that uh, uh, I do is take the students around the neighborhood. So Oakville, as you know, is a suburban area. It's very different from core downtown or uh, downtown Toronto. So we go around the area, we look at what do we see. We see a very neat order of roads and grids and patterns. So I encourage them to, to take a notebook. They have an art book in their hands and they're drawing, creating patterns on what they see. Oh, there's a fire hydrant. Oh, there, there's a restaurant. Oh, there's a police station, a school, a community center. So these are some of the aspects of a good neighborhood, of a sustainable, healthy, lively, um, uh, urban neighborhood, right? So we, uh, we take some sketches and drawings, we come back, I use Google Earth, show them the area that we just uh, crossed, talk about cartography and mapping, because I grew up with hand-drawn calligraphy and drawing these maps. Now it's all computerized, so geomatics and GIS yeah. system is very different. But then I, I tell them how to draw, how to, uh, how to draw a scale, how to draw index and things like that, right? So that's a form of expression for them. And each student does their own um, activity. So that's uh, this module. So after explaining this, I want to talk a little about the philosophy of Water Speaks Workshop. 
So the philosophy is using four E's, which is E for exploration, E for experiment, E to express, and E for enterprise. Enterprise is a big, huge aspect of what I do. So all the modules that I talked about, I encourage each child to, sit, to kind of think a little bit further. How can you use your entrepreneur skills to develop a program, maybe an app, uh, maybe a lemonade stand, I don't know, whatever they feel comfortable with. Do you know how to write a, write a business plan? Do you know there's a lot of opportunities and funding available from the local governments to fund your enterprise, right? So just to teach them how to take that idea through science, creativity, and enterprise, how to take that to the next step. And so the overarching umbrella of this is the philosophy of STEAM. So using science, technology, engineering, and math through the lens of arts, make it STEAM. And the power of STEAM, as a water person, I know the power of stream, STEAM is tremendous. Bring it together, it has the huge power to move the entire system, to move the entire world. There is power to the STEAM. So that's the core philosophy uh, to, for me to develop this part of uh, Water Speaks workshop. I really like your Water Speaks initiative because of the four E's. I can see that how through these experiments, through these simple experiments of just walking around the neighborhood or taking around these dollar store things to show grade one, grade two or grade nine and ten kids and even those university kids, what are the simple ways you can understand your surroundings and how you can use them to create something innovative and different. So you're talking about creation, exploration, and finally making something for the betterment of mankind and environment, showing that there can be a balance. I can see also that you're a big supporter of education and making sure that students learn it through fun activities. So in your opinion, what are the career options that are available for a student who's thinking of pursuing geography? Like how should he or she start? Like if he's displaying an interest in the landscapes, urban planning, green spaces, like how does he initiate going from his bachelor's and doing something that is different and innovative? When it comes to careers and if you have interest in geography, you have to have a passion for your subject. That's a must. Um, and everybody will find their own passion. It doesn't have to be geography or biology or not it, it, it can be a number of other things right or different combinations but specifically in geography I would say there are four broad categories and everybody has their own kind of sense of what these categories are but I feel that physical geography is one very science oriented there's geomorphology hydrology climatology these kind of uh, science heavy courses uh, natural science-based interest. So that's physical geography. Then there's a combination of human, social, urban geography. Another very interesting field, urban planning, uh, town planning, uh, very huge and very interesting field, um, uh, political geography, social geography, all these different aspects. And there are so many subjects in this area. And then you kind of get to choose what your focus is but urban and town planning is is pretty big because as you know more than 50 percent of uh, human population now lives in urban area so uh, it, it plays a huge role 
in understanding the morphology of, of cities around the world and how to take action, how to plan for it, how to uh, implement policy development, so many things that comes with it and a lot of career opportunities as well. Now, a good combination between physical and human social geography is environmental geography, right? It's, it's I find, and that's what I gravitated towards is more environmental geography because I'm very interested in physical aspect, physical geography, natural sciences. At the same time, I'm very curious about how human beings have shaped our landforms and our natural systems. And so understanding the dynamics between physical and human and social aspect was key for where I am today. So that's why the third uh, uh, area could be environmental geography. And the fourth area is cartography, GIS, geomatics, mapping, right? That's what geographers do. So if you're interested and you have a skill, if you uh, have the passion for it, then that could be, that is a huge field, but actually lots of opportunity of these four fields, I think, Cartography, GIS, and geomatics have the highest um, career path, career options, and lots of jobs available in, in this area. So pick any of these um, uh, sub uh, subjects in geography, and you can't go wrong. I uh, highly encourage your audience to look into these fields, and there are generic uh, we, uh, opportunities like po in policy research, te teaching, activism, um, NGOs, right? Uh, public service, public uh, government jobs will hire uh, a geographer. So uh, look for it and and go for it. If it's your passion, you will find a way to work. Growing up, I didn't realize that there were many subcategories under geography and this was not a field that was recognized by my parents or my close relatives. So I vacillated towards biology and looking to pursue either a medical field or a PhD and I went towards a PhD. But if you take today's world and if you have a parent who doesn't have a background in geography, let's say, how do you go about motivating this child who's interested in this field, how do you nurture their interest and push them towards a field that they would excel in and they're passionate about? What would your advice be? Well, um, growing up in India, I know our national obsession with uh, our kids either being doctors, engineers or lawyers <laughs> as, a, as a third resort. I know that very well and it's, I think, it's still the case although the world has changed since then and I, I would say it's our fault that we did not uh, convey uh, these kind of messages to our kids to our students to our children that there are more options other than these three that I just mentioned there are more things to be done more more passions to be followed than just uh, being an engineer or, or doctor or lawyer so um, having said that uh, what I would tell the parents, if you see a child uh, being interested in social sciences or interested in, in uh, geography or uh, subjects that are not traditionally considered as a, um, uh, as a good career move or career pathway, to not just shrug it and push your child 
towards something that they are not ready to do. Because I find this uh, alarming statistics on India, the suicide rate among Indian youth is one of the highest in the world. And I found it very, very alarming when I uh, read about it. Um, I have three young kids and just this is a horrible thing that's happening. And part of it is that we do not listen to our kids and force them to go in fields that we think is the right choice for them without giving them uh, the opportunity or without giving them the power to make decisions for their own lives or make decisions for their own careers. And this is, so this is something very fundamental. What you're choosing now uh, in high school would stay with you for the next 50, 60 years of your life. You will be day in and day out uh, doing something that you might not even like. And that is not a good way to live. So I would encourage the parents that things have changed a lot. There are other opportunities, there are other ways of achieving uh, things. And to also think, why are you forcing them to be something that you think is the right thing? Is it because of you and because of what you think will happen or you think will endear you to the society more? Or is it because you are thinking about the well-being of the child? So I would really um, ask them to think about it seriously and explore with your child, right? If they're interested in um, fields that are not traditionally acknowledged as career-oriented, you might be totally wrong. There's so many wonderful and amazing career paths that have developed for this generation to please talk to your child. Dr. Verma, I really think those are some serious and very important points to consider for every parent and child. If they think that their child is being interested in a non-traditional career, they have to sit down and discuss with them the various options. Maybe go on LinkedIn or go to a networking event. Reach out through their friends and relatives to find out who are the professionals who are working in this field. Do the ground research. Similarly to how you do your research when you're going for a foreign uh, trip. It's just a matter of sitting down and taking the time and figuring out what exactly that your child is looking for. Dr. Verma, you have a lot going on for you at this time point. You are involved in multiple projects and you are the mother of three and you are working towards finishing up a book. So can you tell me how do you balance? That's actually a good question and I'll let you know the answer when I figure out how I balance everything because uh, that, I think our, our obsession with creating this work-life balance is not very healthy actually because I don't know any human being who can have it all, who can actually achieve that perfect balance because we are constantly struggling to find that we don't even know what that balance is so yes I uh, do all these things but I assure you I am like any other human being just running from place to place and uh, sometimes forgetting where I'm going at the same time I also find these quiet moments where I can just relax and the biggest thing for me is my family they are the anchor they keep me calm my kids um, are amazing and uh, my husband provides me all the um, encouragement I can get 
Uh, I have uh, my in-laws, I have my parents, my sisters, my siblings, everybody. This, it's, it's a good, it's a, it's a, my family is, I would say, um, the anchor for me. They're very encouraging. Uh, and uh, as I said, it's, I don't think I have achieved that work-life balance. Um, and it's, it will be a constant struggle um, for me because I just, as a person, I want to do a lot. That's just me. I, I want to do n number th- number of things with only twenty four hours to my disposal a day. So um, I will let you know when I find that answer. Truly well said. I'm a firm believer of having family as your support group. The best analogy I can think about is having a granite boulder behind your back so they're not going to let you fall down and you can make as many mistakes as possible but you know you have a firm support going on for you. So kudos for that and you're doing a fantastic job. And talking about doing it all, what is your plan moving forward? Can you tell us a little bit about the book that you're working on? Uh, About this book? Well, it's kind of a joke in my family now because I've been writing this book since, I don't know, 20 years now. And even before that, uh, I think I was writing this book since I was 12 years old, stuck in a huge flood in the city of Calcutta um, as a child and thinking about where is this all water coming from, where is the water going? Because as you know, in India, we did not grow up with television or internet or computer in the 70s and 80s. So our only entertainment was just to kind of sit and think about these issues. So, um, uh, so this book finally is taking shape. It's called Deconstructing Water. And it's basically an educational book. And anybody can pick this up. Anybody who is interested in knowing about water but do not understand the science behind water and the issues behind it, uh, it's, it's targeted towards them. Uh, so what I have in this book in the first chapter is the philosophy, the cultural reference, the spirituality of water. All the major civilizations around the world developed around the river system. So for the second chapter, I, uh, I talk about the science. It should be the foundation for anything we are looking at. The science behind water. What is hydrological science? What is the weather system? What is eutrophication? What is lake turnover? All these terms that you uh, see around, I have explained uh, the hydrology of water in second chapter. The third chapter is about the about water as resource. So how do we use water? How does water become a resource? If water is just sitting in a lake, it's just water. But the moment we take it out and use it for municipal drink, drink uh, water, we use it for agriculture, irrigation, use it uh, in industries, shipping, so many usages of water, it becomes a resource. So where are these resource, resources going to? Who is using how much? The, the maximum water that's used around the world is in agriculture, right? So uh, where is it being used? How is it being used? How is it treated? How is the wastewater treated, right? Things like that goes in, in the third chapter. Uh, and then I move on to impacts. What are the impacts of climate change in water? And what are the health impacts, the pollution aspect of water, right? If the water is polluted, how does it impact your health? Uh, the, the impact of unsafe drinking water, the lack of sanitation for more than 
a billion people around the world, how is that uh, affecting the health of human beings? Then the next chapter, the fifth chapter is about the governance, the policies, the management, who is managing it, who is governing it, who is paying for it, the finances and, and whatnot. So basically it's looking at different angles and aspects of water and that's why it's called deconstructing water. Um, so people can pick it up, read it and get to know about the issues. Having spoken to you and learning about your experiences, this will definitely be a very important educational resource that any person who's interested in geography could use and they could look at how are the different careers that are possible through this discipline. Dr. Verma, when we had previously met, you mentioned that you lived your life through this checklist. Can you tell our audience what is this list about and what is the importance of this list in your life? Checklist. I know it sounds daunting and it seems as if I have this whole uh, <laughs> checklist of ideas, but it's actually very simple and I have always tried uh, to live my life according to this checklist. So check, C-H-E-C-K. Uh, C for courage, H for humility, E for empathy, C for confidence, and K for knowledge. So when I am stuck in life or when I am thinking about issues or uh, there are decisions to be made, what I do is just review, do I have the courage to go through it? Am I being humble about it? And do I have empathy towards that idea? Am I confident about my idea? And the, the most, the basic foundation is knowledge. Do I have, do I have enough knowledge to even make that uh, informed decision about anything? And, and it's not to say that I always achieve my checklist, but it's a good thing to have it in my pocket so I can review it from time to time. And depending on the, the situation and uh, that you are in, um, I, and everybody will have different kind of checklist. You can create your own checklist. It doesn't have to be the same, same one as mine, but it has helped me in life. Those are great words and a good list to live by. And I'm going to take a closer look at that. With that, thank you very much for taking the time to interview with us today. Thank you, Devika, for having me. Uh, for this interview and giving me this opportunity to, to meet with your audience, to get to know them and uh, for them to get to know me. So I'm looking forward to the future because this is the future generation and I sincerely believe if they are following the right direction, if they are uh, not struggling and moving forward with confidence, we have a wonderful future ahead of us. And I hope to uh, come back to your program to discuss uh, future initiatives with you and looking forward to it and thank you. Are you interested in more resources for career development? Check out www.careersinfinite.com for our podcast, Five Steps Ahead and Career Reviews blog. If you like this episode, please rate it and subscribe to Five Steps Ahead podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear back from you. Share your questions or comments with us at www.careersinfinite.com. Thank you everyone for listening.